Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you can get podcasts. Progressive Snapshot can save you money based on how you drive and how much you drive. So the safer you drive, the more money you could save. Now, if you didn't hear that because you were looking at your phone while driving, let me say it again. Seriously, put down your phone. That is so unsafe. If you didn't do stuff like use your phone while driving, you could save money with Progressive Snapshot. But saving or not, just put it down. And if you did hear it the first time because you weren't looking at your phone, nice work. You'd love Snapshot from Progressive because it rewards safe drivers. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California and North Carolina or from all agents. Everyone and welcome into Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verderam alongside Josh Hill, and we have a lot to get to. Week 13 of the NFL season in the book, save for the Monday night game between the Steelers and the Bengals. One quarter of the season to go, and Josh, uh, we have to get to some fairly breaking news. The Giants have cleaned house. They have fired Ben McAdoo as their head coach, Jerry Reese as their longtime GM, both out. Steve Spagnuolo is the interim head coach. Of course, if you're listening to this later in the week, this is not going to be new news for you, but we're going to try to spin it forward a little bit. We know now the Giants are the first head coaching vacancy. They're not going to be the last. Uh, Where do the Giants go from here coming off of really what was a failed experiment with McAdoo after he went 11-5 in his first year, but then the wheels completely come off 2-10 to finish out his tenure here with the G-Men? Well, the the direction that the Giants can't go is tailor-making whatever their head coaching decision is to anybody that's with the franchise. Don't look at Eli and say, oh, yeah, we're going to hire a guy for Eli, which is how McAdoo got the job. Don't look at Odell Beckham and say, we need to find a guy that's going to keep Odell Beckham happy. Find the guy who is going to do the best for the future of the Giants, regardless of who's on the team, because this is a, this is a franchise in flux now. And I, I'm trying to remember the last time that the Giants have been in this type of a position. Because even when they drafted Eli in 2004, they were like two, three years removed from going to the Super Bowl. So it's not like they've had a long, dark period. Maybe it was the 90s, but they were they were sort of competitive for most of the 90s. They won the Super Bowl in the 1990. You know, they, they, they were mo- mostly competitive for the rest of the decade. They just have to find the right guy. And we talked about this last week. We don't know who that is. Outside of Josh McDaniels and maybe Matt Patricia, there's no name that sticks out to you that you're like, that's the guy they're going to go after. That's the guy that's going to fix things. 
And that's the tough part. And I actually credit the Giants for, you know, ripping off the Band-Aid this early and just admitting, which is a hard thing for teams to do, that they need to rebuild. They need to just go back to square one. Yeah, look, I won't even get into who they could replace Reese with, although I would say John Dorsey would be a heck of a candidate. Yeah. Uh, he did a really good job in Kansas City, and I think he would fit in with that culture uh, up in New York. He went to school at UConn, so maybe a natural fit there. Just just one thought to throw out. As far as the coaches, I actually wrote a piece on Fansided on Monday right after McAdoo got fired, and I kind of uh, went into five potential replacements. And, you know, a couple of them just to name. You mentioned McDaniels, who was my number one guy, mm-hmm. spoiler alert. <laughs> um, you know, we talked. I, I thought Todd Haley. I thought he'd be interesting. He's 50 years old. He had, he did a really nice job in Pittsburgh and Arizona as their offensive coordinator. And in Kansas City, when he was the head coach, they won a division title with Matt Castle. That team was not good, and yet uh, they won one division title, and they were a blocked field goal away from winning a second, although he was fired halfway through that year because Scott Pioli uh, could not mesh with him. But I think, I think Haley could be a good head coach in this yeah. league. I really do. Um so he was one option. Uh, Mike Vrabel, defensive coordinator of the Texans, is another. Of course, most people know Vrabel as a three-time Super Bowl champion linebacker with the Pats. He learned at the knee of Belichick. He's continued to learn in Houston with Cornell. Uh, I, I think he is going to be a head coach in this league, and I think he'd be a really interesting fit with the Giants. Uh, you know, McAdoo is an offensive coach. A lot of times teams like to vacillate back and forth, offense to defense after things don't work out, and so Vrabel would fit that mold. I am personally not up for the idea of, uh, you know, bringing in, you know, a John Gruden, a Bill Cowher. Those those ideas to me are fantasy, man. That's not going to happen. Um, I would be shocked if it did. So, I think the Giants, look, they have a leg up now because they are the first one to fire their head coach. Uh, so, they can start this search now. And I think they should start it in earnest because, frankly, uh, there's going to be a lot of openings at the end of this year. I think mm-hmm. a quarter of the league is going to be out looking for a new head coach. Yeah, and you take a look at what they can offer over other teams. You know, Cleveland's going to be a vacancy. We know that, and they'll probably have the number one pick in the draft. But the Giants are a more lucrative market. They're, they're more lucrative ownership uh, situation. That's what you're going to look at when you think about a guy like McDaniels, who I don't think is going to go to New York, or like a Mike Shula, who you're going to say, draft your quarterback, we're going to go forward, you're going to mold him, and that's what we're going to do moving forward. Because that's, you know, they really have no other option. But either way, it's a young guy. Snack for good with Ohio made, all natural, super tender Charkey Jerky Company beef jerky. Now featuring Killian's Vintage with limited edition packaging designed by 12 year old Killian, avid golfer, and patient champion, Nationwide Children's Hospital. Now available at select Giant Eagle locations at the Memorial Tournament presented by Workday May 30th through June 4th and online at www.charkeyjerky.com. Proceeds of Killian's Vintage benefit Nationwide Children's Hospital and kids like Killian. I'm pretty sure 39. Uh, he, you know, he got his first job in 2009 in Denver, and it didn't work out. It was a disaster. But, you know, listen, he's 10 years older. And mm-hmm. think about where you were 10 years ago in your life, right? Like, you you get wiser. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to work out. It may not. But McDaniels, you know, he's got a heck of a pedigree. So I think it's worth giving him another shot. Um you know, Matt Nagy, he's the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. Obviously, that team has fallen on his face. But um, he was credited with a lot of their offensive success. Early in the year, he really helped Andy Reid remake that playbook. And then he took over the, the offensive play-calling duties uh, on Sunday. And the Chiefs went from scoring one touchdown, 29 drives prior to that, to that game against the Jets, to scoring 31 points uh, and racking up almost 500 yards of offense. So, 
Um, Nagy is a very, very hot coaching head coaching candidate in the NFL circles, and so I think he's up there. But, you know, hey, listen, the Giants, uh, and by the way, Nagy's also a New Jersey native, so that's another thing to throw in there. But the, the Giants have to find somebody who they're willing to grow with because this mm-hmm. is a team that has a lot of talent in, in certain spots but is very deficient in others. And even though Eli Manning has been renamed the starting quarterback, uh, I think it's pretty obvious. Look, he's 36. He's declining. He's still an average quarterback. He's no longer a guy you can ride to a Super Bowl. They're, they're in need of, of really kind of rebuilding this team. And so whoever that next quarterback or whoever that next head coach is, that's got to be a guy you're willing to ride with for three, four years. That uh, takes us perfectly into a little segment that we like to do, which is called uh, What's the Story? Where we try to figure out, you know, what's the story behind some of these NFL storylines going on and these narratives that we're seeing unfold and how they will unfold in the future. So, Verderam, we'll start with New York. Uh, What's the story with Eli Manning's future? Is he going to stick around in New York? Because now that McAdoo's gone, do they see him, or does the next head coach see him as somebody who can transition into whoever they draft? Or do they cut him loose? He goes to Jacksonville. He goes somewhere else. What's his? What's the story with Eli Manning now that the Giants sort of have some direction, even though they are kind of still directionless? It's tough to say because you don't know who's going to come in and take over. Uh, my guess would be that the Giants are, are probably going to try, to try and mend the relationship with Manning. Look, he's under contract here going forward, and so... You know, there's talk, well, could they trade him? Sure, maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm sure that there'd be plenty of teams that would try to go out and get him. Jacksonville, probably top on the list with Tom Coughlin over there. But uh, I think they're going to try to mend fences with Manning and maybe have him work as a mentor to whoever that next quarterback is coming in. I, I certainly think they have to be looking to draft the quarterback high in this draft. I don't want to hear about Davis Webb. He's a third-round no. pick at I don't think, you know, just like the Niners didn't rely on C.J. Beathard, I don't think the Giants are going to be all in with Davis Webb. So um, I think they'll try to mend it, but, you know, he is at the age that if a team comes calling and offers a good enough pick, if I'm the Giants, I take it because you're not winning the Super Bowl with him again anyway. So if a team calls and says, we'll give you a couple of twos or we'll give you a late one or something like that, if I'm New York, I'm, I'm seriously considering that offer. Yeah, and I'm thinking about bad breakups that we've had with between franchises and quarterbacks and this seems or it seemed to be on the way to being one of the more underrated ones i mean a lot of people got upset regardless of what you may have heard on twitter from various other people people were upset that eli manning was benched not because of any other reason than he is the new york giants he's been the new york giants for so long and we saw it with Favre, we saw it with the other manning peyton manning we saw it with you know joe montana and the 49ers you go back Throughout the history of football, there's so many bad breakups. And it seems like we might be in a situation now where we're going to be able to avoid that, where there is a nice transition. You know, after Manning got benched, there was already reports that he was the first guy to practice the next day. First in, last one out, even though he was benched. So to me, if I agree with you that if somebody comes calling and they're going to offer something good enough, which I think Jacksonville and Tom Coughlin, assuming Tom Coughlin stays in Jacksonville and doesn't come back to New York, uh, if someone starts calling and they want Eli, I would say yeah to that. But it just makes a whole lot of sense just to keep him in there, to help him transition. He's a company guy. He likes the Giants. He likes living in New York. That's just his home. There's no need to force him out just because that's the way it's always done in football. I don't, I don't really like that. So I agree with you. I think, you know, Eli, just keep him around in New York unless you get some outrageous offer from, from somebody somewhere else. Um, sticking... 
around players that we haven't heard from for a while. Uh, Josh Gordon. What's the story with Josh Gordon, who comes back, has a pretty good game with the Browns, first game back in a long time. It was a nice story to see him. Seems like he's got his head together and his life is back together. Had a decent game for the Browns, although it's not that hard to have a decent game for the Browns. Uh, what's the story with him? Do you think he sticks around in Cleveland? Do you think he's part of the parts that get stripped out when Hugh Jackson and everybody gets fired? Uh, and is he actually going to stick around this time, which would be good to see for not only him but for football too? Yeah, I hope he does. Uh, you know, this is a kid. He's 26 years old, and he's got all the talent in the world. But forgetting even the talent for a second, just on a human level, I, I hope he straightened out his life. He's had a lot of mm-hmm. substance abuse issues. He's talked about it. I think you know he started to rectify that. And I give him a lot of credit. Look, he hadn't played a game since 2014. Uh, he was a forgotten man, and all yeah. of a sudden now he got reinstated. Four catches for 85 yards uh, against the Chargers on Sunday. Like I think for Cleveland, if, if this kid can keep himself on the straight and narrow, he should be something you build around. Mm-hmm. He's 26. Like, and this idea, look, the Browns are like the Browns are like what the 76ers have been in basketball for years up until now, which has been, you know, the, trust the process, build through the process. Mm-hmm. Well, look, you know, you could talk about that all day long, but the process doesn't mean a damn thing if, if you don't win any games, if you don't start to build a foundation. And the, the Browns have had multiple first-round picks year after year after year, and they can't hit on any of them. Well, look, Gordon, you know, can play. To me, that needs to be a core guy. And if he's a malcontent, if something goes wrong again, then fine. Then cut him and move on. But right now, he's he's on the up and up. I'd keep him. I'd be building this team around him, Miles Garrett, Christian Kirksey, uh, Jamie Collins. I mean, that's what the Browns need to become. And, and to me, look, they're going to clean house at the end of this year again. But... I think Gordon has to be part of that team's future. They need somebody who can make a play, and he can do that. So you're saying there's hope for the Browns I'm for not once? Saying that. I'm saying that I think they should keep Josh Gordon. There's no hope until they figure out the coach and the quarterback. Because in the NFL, you can have a great roster, which they don't have, but you can, you can have that. If you don't have a head coach and a quarterback, you're screwed. And I look at the Texans as a perfect example of that. Look, when Deshaun Watson was there, they won games. But they still weren't winning enough games because their coach is no good. And then when he goes down and you have Savage, that's a good roster. That's a playoff, especially, my God, in that division. It's a playoff caliber roster, and it doesn't matter because they don't have a head coach and a quarterback. And Cleveland hasn't had a quarterback or a head coach since the – well, like you want to say Belichick in the 90s. They haven't had a, haven't had a quarterback since Kozar. So, look, I think Gordon, you need to build around him offensively um, – but you, you got to get a quarterback. And Deshaun Kaiser so far does not look like he's going to be that guy. Well, let's take a little bit of a detour away from the NFL. Sticking with football, but the college football playoff comes out this weekend. We've got uh, <clears throat> Georgia and Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl, and you've got Alabama and Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. As always, we're going to have NFL prospects galore, especially when you've got Alabama cons- involved here because they're a football factory. You've got Baker Mayfield, who very well could be playing with Eli Manning next year in New York. Uh, what's the story with the college football playoffs? Everybody's talking about, did they get it right? Did they get it wrong? What's happened has happened. We, I feel like we've got the best matchups that we could get. Are you satisfied with what we got, and are you excited to see these games, given what we're going to see as far as future NFL talent? Yeah, look, I think they got it right. You know, Ohio State had two losses. Alabama had one. Alabama, you could argue, played a little bit of a softer schedule, but... You know, for me, they lost one game. They lost to a, a top five team in Auburn on the road. So, Ohio State had no business making the college football playoff. Ohio State got waxed by Iowa. 
Okay, like that you that should just be written into the bylaws. You lose to <laughs> Iowa, you don't go to the college football playoffs. So, no, look, I think they got it right. Oklahoma, Clemson, Georgia, you know, for sure wins all conference champions, uh, and Alabama was the right pick. Yeah, um, happy to see them having got in. And look, if you're an NFL fan, you want to watch for some guys. You know, you mentioned Baker Mayfield, the quarterback at Oklahoma. He is a lightning rod. He is going to be talked about a lot this spring. So he's somebody to watch. Alabama. Minka Fitzpatrick, mm-hmm. he's going to be a first-round pick. He is a very, very good corner. And and coming out of a college that has produced a lot of very good defensive backs, uh, going back to first-round picks with Jake Kirkpatrick, uh, who, who has been average for Cincinnati. Dean Milner was a bust for the Jets. Uh, but then there were other guys who have been really good, like HaHa Clinton Dix uh, for Green Bay. Ruben Foster course, came yeah, out. Yep, uh, Yeah, linebacker <laughs> Ruben Foster. But Landon Collins. So they, they've produced – um, and then you, know, you want to look elsewhere. Well, Clemson always has a very athletic front seven. Uh, that's a school that has produced very good pros in recent years. Um, you know, and Clemson is, is exciting to watch. Uh, keep an eye on on them. And, and I love the quarterback there, Brian. He's been he's been good. He's a, he's a freshman, so uh, he's exciting. And Georgia, my God, you need a running back. Yeah. Uh, At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. We did it. We time-traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Michael, Nick Chubb, uh, you know, they they have a lot of NFL talent. So, yeah, if you're an NFL fan, and even if you're not, it, it's worth watching. I think I think the games are going to be really good this year in college football. Knee-jerk reaction, who makes it to the national championship game? Oh, God. Uh, I will say... Hmm, that's tough. I'll say, I'll say Oklahoma and Alabama. I think Oklahoma, Alabama would be. We talked about, you know, what what Super Bowl would be the best for the NFL as a whole, not just for individual fan bases. And I think that Oklahoma, Alabama would be a really good one. Um, you know, like you said, there's just all of the talent there, and then you've got, you know, anytime Nick Saban's involved, it's going to be a good time. And anytime Nick Saban can get upset, that's going to be a good time too. So maybe we can see if Baker Mayfield can plant his flag in the uh, Nick Saban legacy before he heads off to the NFL. Um, just quickest, uh, one more quick one before we finish it up here with the NFL thing. Herm Edwards got a job. <laughs> it's not on television. It's at Arizona State. What do you think about this? Is, this seemed to come out of nowhere. It seemed like it was like kind of a joke, and then all of a sudden they gave him a job. Do you think he's going to do well? What's the story there? God. I, I don't ever want to talk <laughs> As about a Chiefs fan. Yeah, I don't ever want to talk about Herm Edwards as a coach. Listen, you know what? Here, I'll, I'll be honest. I think Herm Edwards is a really good person. I think he cares. I think the kids will see that he cares. He's genuine. Um, I actually think he's a good fit in college football. Mm-hmm. From a from a teaching standpoint, and even listen, I make fun of Herm Edwards. The man knows football. Yeah. Okay. My only question with Herm, or my, my biggest question with Herm, he's older. Like, does he really want to go out and recruit and do that? That's a grind. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of work. And I just wonder, you know, is that going to be something that after a few years, Harms just had enough, you know? But that said, look, I think people like him. I think, I think he's, a, he's a good man. And I think in college, that goes a long way. Do I think he's going to be you know, Nick Saban? No, I don't. But I, I do think, you know, he's going to bring respect to that Arizona State program.
Yeah, and I think he'll be. We'll see how it plays out. You know, Arizona State seems to be playing with house money here. It's not like they were a powerhouse out there in the Pac-12 or anything like that. So Herm Edwards, he's a talker. You know, he plays to win the game. So we'll see if he can play to win the game at the college level too. Um, all right, back to NFL, and this is the last one, and it'll transition into our uh, Week 14 picks. Uh, what's the story with what happened on Sunday Night Football this week? The Eagles and the Seahawks. So. This is the game that I had been predicting for weeks, where everybody's all hot and bothered about the Eagles, Carson Wentz, they're going to go into the playoffs, I can't believe, you know, they've planned the parade in Philadelphia already for the Super Bowl, and then they go into Seattle and they get pretty soundly beaten, they got manhandled pretty good 24-10, to 10. Carson Wentz looked good, he also looked bad, the offensive line all of a sudden forgot how to block, we saw what Wentz looked like under pressure, and like you said on the Facebook Live on Sunday night, we saw what happened when the Eagles play a team that knows how to punch back. That hasn't been something we've seen all year long, and this is what I imagined a playoff game for the Eagles would be like. So is it good that this happened now? Do you think that they're going to have time to maybe adjust and fix things for the playoffs, or do you think this is going to be what we're going to see come the divisional round when teams, like you said, who know how to punch back are just going to figure them out in the weeks leading up to that? Yeah, you know, we talked about this yesterday on our Facebook Live uh, with uh... – Mark Carmen, who's awake, by the way. Um, but, look, you know what? I think the Eagles are a good team. I don't think they're a great team. I don't think there's a great team in the NFL this year. So I think they're in the mix, but I don't think they're a favorite. Uh, I know they're 10-2, and two, so maybe that sounds a little bit odd, but they have not played anybody this year. They have not beaten one team that currently has a winning record. Uh, the other loss they had was to Kansas City before Kansas City decided that playing football wasn't an option anymore, and they lost back in Week 2, and they lost pretty handily in that game. Uh, Seattle, they, they lost handily to Seattle. And now, both games are on the road, both against good teams, but you're going to play good teams in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And you, you're not playing the Giants. You're not playing the Bears and the 49ers. The, the Eagles, to me, this idea that Carson Wentz is a great quarterback, for my money, has gone way too far. Look, I think he's a good player. I think he's got a lot of potential. Everybody goes crazy over the touchdown passes. And, of course, that matters. He's completing 60% of his throws. I mean, let's let's be honest. He threw for 44 yards in the first half against Seattle. He threw for like 300 in the second half. But some of that was was in garbage time. Some of that some of that was terrific. Some mm-hmm. of it, he, he made a couple of great throws. I'm not trying to say he's not a good quarterback. Yeah, he is. But uh, to answer the question at hand, look, I think the Eagles. I don't think they're the best team in the NFC. Mm-hmm. I, I I think they're maybe you know third, fourth best. I and, but I felt that way before the Seattle game. I thought it was lunacy that Seattle was a six-point underdog at home. That team should never be a six-point underdog at home. I don't care who they're playing, let alone Philadelphia, who's never proven anything with this roster. My biggest concern of how many Eagles fans, not that they've lost. Look, it, it happens, 10-2. My biggest concern coming out of that game, if I'm a Philly fan, is that Seattle physically, on the defensive yep. side of the ball, took it to you. And that's something, look, the Eagles... They they need to win at the point of attack. They have a very good offensive line. They have a very good front seven. And if a team can even neutralize that, it's a big problem. Because the Eagles in the secondary and at the skill positions are not as good as a lot of other teams. No, and that was, you know, the Legion of Boom is hurting too. So it wasn't like we saw... Richard Sherman out there and all these heavy hitters. You know, it was K.J. Wright. It was that, you know, the new Shaq kid that they got out there at cornerback. It was not the scrubs for Seattle, but it wasn't the top line 
for the Legion of Boom out there beating up the Eagles. And I do think that that is concerning as well. I think if you're an Eagles fan, take solace in the fact that nobody's won or lost a Super Bowl in Week 13, though. They've got time to adjust. And something that I was thinking about last night before the game, as much as everybody talks about, oh, Carson Wentz, the running game, the defense, when you get into the playoffs and you have the elite of the elite there, it's going to come down to head coaching. And last night I found myself time and time again looking at uh, Pete Carroll or Doug Peterson. And it's going to be the same thing, Mike Zimmer or Doug Peterson. Sean Payton, Doug Peterson. And that's going to that's an angle, you know, we talked about the Vikings missing a couple of extra points against the Lions and how those things add up in the playoffs. Coaching, you know, it seems like a cliche, but it's something that pops up time and time again that if you do not have a good game plan, if you are inexperienced and you don't know the situations, it's going to come back to get you. And I think there were some calls in the Sunday night game where Doug Peterson looked a little bit, you know, too far out over his skis. And we're going to see if maybe they have time to adjust or whether or not. But, you know, to me, and I've been saying it for weeks, I think that the New Orleans Saints are the best team in the NFC. And you said it on the Facebook Live last night, they right now look like they are a very serious threat to win the Super Bowl. I think they're the best team in football. And I'll tell you what, I think maybe the second best team in the NFC is Minnesota. Yeah. Who nobody talks about because they're not sexy, they're not exciting, they're not in a big market. The Vikings... The Vikings can rip your throat out defensively. And mm-hmm. Adam Thielen is a really good receiver. Stephon Diggs is a good receiver. The Vikings, and Case Keenum, like, they can play. Mm-hmm. This, this idea that, like, this team's going to fade. Look, the Vikings just went to Atlanta and beat them up. They beat the Rams earlier this year. Like, you know, who the Eagles beaten? The Saints have beaten Carolina twice. Uh, you know, they, they, have, they have quality wins. The Rams beat the Saints. I just, I, I for my money... The Eagles, they've got to beat somebody before I look at them and say, yeah, they're a real threat. I, I just, I agree with you. I think the Saints are the best team. And that leads perfectly into our games of the week here because Saints take their turn on Thursday night. They are at Atlanta in the best rivalry in the South, uh, at least in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It's a pick em. Uh So Vegas believes that the Saints are about a field goal better on neutral field. Uh, I'll be... Blunt, look, the, the Falcons lost 14-9 to the Vikings. Their season's on the line in this game. New Orleans knows that with a win, it can almost get to the point here where it's clinching the NFC South. Uh, I know the Falcons are desperate. I'm going to take the Saints. We just talked about them. I think they're the best team in football. I think Alvin Kamara is a beast. Mark Ingram's terrific. And they, they really just complement each other so well. They can catch the ball out of the backfield. You know, one is shifty in Kamara. The other one is power with Ingram. Uh, Drew Brees is playing real well. The defense is playing very well for the Saints. I, I think the Saints go in there and, and get themselves to 10-3 and three and continue to march toward an NFC South title. And I think the Falcons, if they lose this game, are uh, on life support in the playoff race. Atlanta's very desperate, so they're going to come out you know, cornered. You never corner an animal and expect it just to give up. I think we're going to see that kind of effort out of the Falcons, but like you said, the Saints, they're just the best team in the NFC, and right now, they're making their serious case to be the best team in football, even more so than the Patriots or the Steelers. Uh, You take a look at Kamara and and Ingram, they're really, really good, and they're probably the best running back duo that we've seen over the last couple of years in football, but if you shut them down and you take them out of the game, you still have Drew Brees, you still have him throwing to Michael Thomas, and you still have him throwing to, you know, Ted Ginn, and all of these guys out there, and then you still have the defense. This is just a multifaceted team, and that's exactly what you need in the playoffs. You, you need to beat a team multiple ways. 
And that is absolutely what the Saints can do. And going back to the Doug Peterson thing, if the Eagles can adjust or not, Sean Payton has rewritten the book on that this year. They start out 0-2. His coaching staff, they go in, they identify, they adjust, they go on an eight-game winning streak. They lose to the Rams, they come out, they adjust, and then they hammer the Panthers. This is a team, week by week, if you can adjust in the playoffs, you're going to be fine. And if you have as many weapons as the Saints have, and as good a coaching and as veteran talent as they have, they're going to be a very hard out. So, you know, we always say that the Packers and Aaron Rodgers getting in are going to be a wild card. I don't know if that's going to happen, and I think teams need to be really, really nervous about playing the Saints, whether it's at home or on the road. Uh, they're going to win this one, too, and I think they're going to finish the Falcons season off. Yeah, and the Saints, look, you know, we've always talked in the past about them. Well, they got to be in their dome. I, this team could win on the road because yeah. they can run the ball and play defense. Going to Sunday, uh, kind of kind of just touch on this game, frankly. <laughs> Uh, the Bears are at the Bengals. Ugh. Bengals favored by six. Of course, we don't know what the Bengals are going to do on Monday night against the Steelers. Uh, I, I think at this point with the Bears, like, you need to just find out, or not even so much find out, but you need to let Mitchell Trubisky play. Uh, you know, they, They've been shackling this kid every game. John Fox is terrified to let him throw the ball. Look, he's either good enough to play or he's not. And if he's on the field, let him play like an NFL quarterback. Do for 102 yards against the 49ers. It's, it's absurd. Throw the football. Uh, I know you're a running team, and that's fine. But, you know, at this point, you're not trying to win games. You're trying to evaluate. So and that's what I'd like to see out of the Bears. I think the Bengals are going to win the game. They're better. Uh, I don't know that they'll cover. In fact, I'd probably pick the Bears to cover the six points. But uh, I, I think the Bengals win. And if the Bengals, beat, if the Bengals can beat Pittsburgh and beat the Bears, they're 7-6. and six, uh, Although I don't think they'll beat Pittsburgh. So give me the Bengals in a game that I don't think is going to be all that pretty to watch. Chicago has a lot of problems, and everybody likes to dog John Fox. And, yeah, that's the problem. They're obviously going to have a new head coach next year. But, like you said, they just got to play Trubisky. Stop trying to shelter him. Stop. It's not going to be a situation like it is in Cleveland with Deshaun Kaiser because that's just a completely unique dumpster fire to Cleveland. If you play Mitchell Trubisky and he gets beat up and he makes bad decisions, that's the only way he's going to learn how to not be in those situations again. And if John Fox wants that to be his swan song, you know, it's very existential, he's fallen on the sword, just do it. And if you're not John Fox, if you're in the management or whatever, just go over his head, start Mitchell Trubisky. He's the future. Nobody else there is the future. The team can be very good moving forward. They just need to start Trubisky. That being said, Cincinnati, if this was in Chicago, maybe I would take the Bears just because weird things happen on that natural grass in Soldier Field. It's not. It's in Cincinnati. And I think that Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis are their better combo than whatever we have in Chicago. I don't think the game means anything to anybody in the long run, but I think that if you're going to bet on the game, I'd bet on Cincinnati. Another six-point spread in the 1 o'clock hour. Dallas at the Giants. Dallas favored by six points, although that line might shift with all that's gone on with the Giants. Um, I, I'll take the, the Cowboys in the game. With the Giants have been awful. Uh, the only teams who have been able to beat are the, the Broncos, who haven't won a game since then, and the Chiefs, who haven't won a game since then. So uh, I'll take the Cowboys. Six points, it seems about right. I may take the Cowboys to cover. Uh, the Cowboys seem to figure some things out. Thursday night against Washington, they got a long layoff here before this game, and I think, I think it's a tough road. I, I just think the Giants are so emotionally cooked. Uh, I think they'll play hard for Manning and 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 – so I think it might be an interesting game for a little while. But in a game that means nothing for either team, I think the Cowboys pull away. I've taken the Cowboys on this one, too. And, you know, whatever we saw on Thursday night with the Cowboys against the Redskins, 
it's just hard to take anything that they do seriously because they're so far out of it at this point. You know, I can see this being an interesting game from the standpoint of the Giants. If they win, then you have to ask serious questions about what's going on in Dallas because right now it seems like everybody's riding high. That's how it is with the Cowboys. You know, they lose a couple of weeks and it's fire Jason Garrett. Is Dak Prescott the answer? Why can't we have Zeke Elliott back? Then they blow out the Redskins and everything's fine. So I'm going to take the Cowboys in this one and the Giants. Eh. Like we said at the top of the show, it's it's about the future at this point. Uh, another game to quickly touch on: uh, the 49ers at the Texans. Uh, Texans favored by a point and a half. I, I don't know what way to go with this. I'm actually, gonna, you know, I'm going to take the 49ers in this game. I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo uh, looked really good against the Bears. I think he'll continue to look good. I think the Niners have fought hard. They've played hard all year long. The Texans have a ton of injuries, uh, and and Tom Savage is terrible. So I'm going to take the Niners to win in the, on the road for a second straight week, although I admit I'm vacillating on it. I'm very close to saying I think the Texans pull it out. I think it's a tight game, but I'll take the better quarterback and what I think is a better coach. Uh, the 49ers plus one and a half. I think San Francisco finds a way as they continue to find their way going forward. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. I hate this idea that teams have to lose at the end of the year to get a high draft pick. And you're going to hear people say, oh, I can't believe the 49ers are trying to win. Don't they want a high draft pick? No, they want to have Jimmy Garoppolo get experience, and they want to have Kyle Shanahan implement his game plan. This is about the future. You should never be playing for a high draft pick, ever. I don't care if you're Cleveland. I don't care if you're San Francisco or whoever. So I actually think and have thought for most of the season that the 49ers are a lot better than their record suggests. We saw them in a lot of close games for basically most of the year there. They were losing games, but they were losing them by three points or less. Now that they have Garoppolo in, now that Shanahan's vision is going to start to take shape, I really, really hope that they go out and they try to win these games because the future starts right now for San Francisco. Don't worry about a high draft pick. It'll be high enough. The draft class is going to be fine. You don't need a quarterback, so there's really no need for you to you know, pine for that top draft pick. Saquon Barkley looks like he's fallen down draft boards after he fell off. So if that was the guy that you wanted to get up at the top, you're still probably going to be able to get him somewhere in that middle of the top 10, which is where the 49ers will probably be picking, even if they you know, went out here. I just... I don't think that the Texans are a good team, and I don't think that Bill O'Brien's a good coach. I've beat that drum weeks ago, and I will continue to beat it until something happens. I don't even like the Texans, but I, for their fans' sake, do not marry yourself to Bill O'Brien, and do not hope that Tom Savage is the reason that you win and then become married to Bill O'Brien, because Deshaun Watson is the guy that you want, and he's the future. So I'm taking San Francisco in this one because I do think they're the better team, and I hope that it's not a close game. Indianapolis at Buffalo. There is no line for this game because we don't know what's going on with Tyrod Taylor. Um, I, 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 I mean, does anybody care? Uh, I'll take the Bills. It, it, well, if Taylor plays, if Peterman plays, give me the Colts. So really it depends on health. Like I said, there's no line in the game. Both teams are out of the race. I know Buffalo is 6-6, six six, but that team uh, is not getting into the playoffs. So um, that's just really a countdown to Chuck Pagano finally gets fired. 
Uh, so give me, give me the, the Bills, if Taylor plays, I think they'd win by a touchdown or so. Yeah, the Colts are done. Give me the Bills in this one. I don't want to waste any time on it. Yeah, we'll move to your boys. Uh, Detroit at Tampa Bay, no Jeez. line again because we don't know about Matt Stafford. Hurt his hand. X-rays are negative. Uh, the Lions <coughs> got blown out in Baltimore, which is almost impossible to do since the Ravens can't score a point. They scored 44 against the Lions. Uh, and we'll get into the Ravens a little bit more later. But uh, for now, your Buccaneers, they had a lead late in the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, lost that lead. Uh, lost in overtime to the Packers. You guys dropped to 4-8. and eight. Uh, again, no line yet as we wait for the you know the uh, word on Stafford. But I, as I always do with the Bucks, I'll let you have the floor. This one. Uh, talk about a game you don't want to waste any time on. <laughs> it's any game that involves the Buccaneers at this point. Like, look, I don't think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a bad team. I think that right now they don't know how to be a good team. And that's almost as dangerous as having no talent at all. It's that how many times this year have we watched them play a game, whether it's against Green Bay, whether it's against Arizona, Buffalo, New England, where they should win, and they find a way not to. Like, they take Green Bay to overtime. Granted, it's Brent Hundley, Brett Hundley. But then in the first drive, they don't even let the offense see the field. And we said this. The, my, my main thing, my main takeaway for the Bucks from here until either the end of time or until he figures it out is Jameis Winston. He is the ceiling and the anchor for this team. We saw it yesterday on a play where he's supposed to go down. He's just trying to, you know, tuck the ball in, take a sack. And instead, he basically just hands it like a biscuit to the biggest guy on the Packers defensive line who then houses it for a touchdown. That is the Jameis Winston that the Buccaneers cannot allow to continue to exist. They are not going to win if he continues to make mistakes, if he continues to make errors that take them out of the game. And this goes back to week three against the Vikings, when time and time again, he came into the game, he threw an interception, he tried to throw into triple coverage because he thinks he's Brett Favre and he's not. And he takes any kind of momentum that the offense can hope to garner up right out. He sucks it right out of the building. And that's a Jameis Winston problem. I think it's a dirt cutter problem because they're tethered together. But, you know, and indicative of the Buccaneers' season, I forget who the uh, sideline analyst, I think it was Jenny Hale or somebody at the Fox sideline analyst, talked to Dirk Cutter at halftime about Jameis Winston. He basically said, well, I've done all I can do. That's, look, <laughs> if you need a reason to fire Dirk Cutter, that's all he can do? This season is all he can do with Jameis Winston? I'm sorry, but the, te- the franchise always takes the quarterback over the head coach. And this team, it needs, it needs a lot of work. I think that Mike Smith, if he gets a head coaching offer in the offseason, he's gone. He's going to jump ship. I don't think it's a sinking ship. I think that Jameis Winston, as long as he's making these awful, atrocious decisions, is going to weigh the bucks down. And that's unfortunate because he's supposed to be the franchise. And I don't know what the problem is. But it's just not happening. So, look, I'm going to take the Bucks to win this game because at this point it's ride or die and it doesn't make any difference other than, you know, my pick standings. But until James Winston figures something out, and playing him right now is, is a good decision because he needs to work his way through these mistakes. And you need to find out if he can or can't work his way through these mistakes and then move forward. But, you know, don't bail on Winston now. Don't listen to the talking heads who say he's a draft bust and all this kind of stuff. Give it a couple of years. But right now, it's not headed in a good direction. And that's enormously scary for a Buccaneers fan. I mean, I, I wouldn't say he's a bust. No. I think he's talented. But It's year three, uh, too. Yeah. I mean, look, he can do things that a lot of quarterbacks can't. I will say this, though. We talk about this all the time. But I, I am to the point with him. <sighs> it's got to stop. I mean, you, you are in year three. He's still a young player. I'm not saying he's not. But, I mean, the crap that he does on a weekly basis, it just has got to stop. 
And if that means firing Cutter and bringing in somebody who's no nonsense, fine. If that means keeping Cutter, if they think that Cutter's the right guy, fine. Whatever that means, I'm okay with as an impartial observer, but, you know, it, it has got to stop. He turns the ball over in ways that are insane. He throws the ball underhand. He throws it while he's going to the ground. I mean, look, it's one thing. I understand he's got a big arm. He tries to fit the ball in somewhere. He gets picked off. Depending on the circumstance, okay, you know, you'll live with that. That happens. It's part of having the guy with a huge arm, okay? I'm a Chiefs fan. I'm sure when Patrick Mahomes comes in, there are going to be times where he thinks he can fit a ball into a window that doesn't exist. And you know what? Sometimes you will and sometimes you won't. You're right on your comparison with Favre. To me, Winston thinks he's Favre. Which is fine, except that he's you know, he's not making enough smart decisions. Like mm-hmm. Brett Favre, always you know, people always gunsling, yep. and, and he was. But if you watch Brett Favre, Favre made infinitely more great plays yep. than he made bad ones. And he look, he, he's the all-time leader in picks. Like Brett Favre turned the ball over, but the Packers lived with that for twenty years because he was unbelievable and he wasn't turning the ball over. He was a three-time MVP. Winston is is good when he's not turning the ball over, but he turns it over too much, and he's not far. Who is? Yeah, far as a Hall of Fame quarterback. So, look, I wouldn't give up by any means on Winston, Mm-mm. but I do think at some juncture here, he he's got to he's got to wrap his mind around the fact that he he is going to continually lose games if he doesn't stop. I'm taking Detroit only because, frankly, I don't trust Winston. I, I don't trust him right now. I think Tampa Bay roster wise is a very talented team. But they've got to figure out what's going on in his head. Uh, moving on to the other bay, Green Bay. On the road, favored by three and a half over Cleveland. Uh, I don't think I need to get too far into this. I'm picking the Packers. Uh, the, the Browns are just awful. There's really no other way to say it. Um, I actually hope they go on 16, just because that franchise deserves to shame. I'm sorry to any Cleveland fan, because I actually feel really bad for you. I have all the respect in the world for Browns fans, but... Uh, just because I think that organization needs to just completely hit rock bottom, I think that's actually w- would be a good thing at this point. Give me the Packers, who, by the way, after this game, we're going to have Aaron Rodgers back. And if they win this game, which they should, they could very well get to 10-6. And if that team makes the playoffs, I, I wrote about it in my Stack in the Box column on fansided.com. Uh, please go and check that out. I, I think the Packers are dangerous as all get out. That team is terrifying coming into anybody's building for a playoff game. So give me the Packers. I think they get to 7-6. Give me the Packers, too. And, you know, we say it every single week, but Browns fans might be the best fans in football because they have to put up with that. Steve uh, Kubica, who writes for Dog Pound Daily, actually wrote the Fandom 250. He wrote a defense of Browns fans as the best fans in football, and he made all the good points. Nothing, None of it had to do anything with how awful the team has been run. If anything, it's, you know awesome that the fans have stuck around with as awful as this team has been which is unfortunate because they don't deserve that but yeah the Packers I'm taking them to win this game and you take a look at the rest of their schedule it's Carolina it's Minnesota and then it's Detroit Uh, I'd say that they win the Detroit game the Carolina and Minnesota games those are going to be big and I think Rodgers might be able to come back for the Minnesota games that's week 16 right he's back week 15 so that would be a good one to have him back for against Carolina Carolina. too and that that might be I mean that's a tiebreaker game yeah that could be for all the marbles. So, yeah, they've got a nice setup to that game with the Browns. And, by God, if they lose to the Browns, then they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. They lose to the Browns, fire everybody. <laughs> they should have McCarthy get off the field. They should fire Speaking of Carolina, though, by the way, they are at home. They're a home dog. They're a three-point underdog against Minnesota. 
comes into the game 10 and 2, fresh off a win in Atlanta. Uh, you know, I, I picked Atlanta last week because I thought Atlanta just was more desperate. They were at home. I'm taking the Vikings in this game. Uh, I, I do not like what I've seen out of Cam Newton. There's too many missed throws. There's too many missed reads. Uh, Christian McCaffrey was supposed to be this huge difference maker for them. I'm yet to see it. Their offense just bothers me. And Minnesota's defense, that is not an offense that you want to be scuttling with when you go to play that team. So I know it's in Carolina. I like the Vikings. I think the Vikings win. And if Green Bay wins, all of a sudden, they are a game back of Carolina going into Carolina. If the Panthers win this game, they're in good shape to make the playoffs. They lose this game, all of a sudden, they are no sure thing. And so, that all being said, I think the Vikings win. I think they clinch the NFC North. We're running out of reasons to say that Case Keenum can't be the guy that leads the Vikings on a Super Bowl run. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to go to the Super Bowl, but what more do we need to see out of Case Keenum to think that he's this he's going to be reliable? The playoff Case Keenum versus regular season Case Keenum, it goes back to the thing we talked about with the Eagles. We don't know what we're going to see because it's completely different scenarios and it's going to be a completely different setup and approach by the opponent, whatever. Case Keenum has been absolutely incredible this year, and he reminds me of Matt Schaub. When Matt Schaub came in for uh, you know Mike Vick a couple of different times and he got that contract in Houston, I think that Case Keenum is going to be a starter in 2018. I think that's, without a doubt, going to happen. It's just a matter of whether or not it's going to be in Minnesota or if it's in Washington, New York, either of the New Yorks, wherever. Um, But we're running out of reasons to say that Case Keenum is a problem or a road bump for the Vikings' playoff hopes. And we're going to see that again on Sunday. The, The Panthers... Played great all season. That's great. They just got housed by the Saints. It's going to happen again against the Vikings. Could you imagine? I don't even know who their top receiver is. Devin Funchess going up against Xavier it's Rhodes. Be, it's Xavier Rhodes. He's going to play like on a half-empty tank, and he's going to still you know, take care of business. So I'm taking Minnesota to win this one, and I think it's yet another week where we have to sit down and really ask ourselves why we're not respecting the Vikings. You know, why aren't we taking them seriously? Because they're going to come up, and they're going to play some good playoff games, and they're going to force you to take them seriously when they beat your team in the playoffs. By the way, Punches uh, does. He has 703 yards to lead the team. Christian McCaffrey's second with 501 yards, which on the surface is great, except that he's 64 receptions for 501 yards. So, Well, we saw on Sunday— It's going to take him 150 to get to 1,000. Yeah, and on Sunday, you know, McCaffrey, and on the other side of the field we have Alvin Kamara. That, you know, conversation done, over— that's yeah. all you need. That's all she wrote. So, no question. Now, the, the Saints, they nailed it with Alvin Kamara. Uh, okay, so, wrapping up the 1 o'clock games. The Raiders are at the Chiefs. The Chiefs are perplexingly favored by 3.5. That line opened at 4.5. Uh, I'll just make this. The Raiders are winning this game. I, I really, I can't imagine a world at this point where the Chiefs are going to win a football game. I felt like going to the Jets game, the Chiefs, uh, would, would play good defensively. They wouldn't score. Of course, the Chiefs finding new ways to lose every week. Instead, took eight penalties. Gave up, I think it was 10 third-down conversions. Gave up 490 yards. Uh, the Jets had the ball for 42 and a half minutes. Uh, and, and the Chiefs still scored 31 points. Alex Smith went crazy. Played a great game. They still couldn't win. Um, I think it's a shootout because neither team can win ounce of defense. But at this juncture... I, God, how could you take Kansas City? I, I will take Oakland to start to put Kansas City out of its misery. The Chiefs' next two games are the Raiders and the, and the Chargers in Arrowhead. Uh, I think the Chiefs lose both. I think they get booed out of the stadium. And I think it'll be Patrick Mahomes' time comes Christmas Eve. 
I mean, you said it better than I could have, and you know the team better than I do too. But I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the the Chiefs in this one. I just I'm think... gonna really you gonna take the Chiefs? <laughs> I'm hit you with the microphone. <laughs> Look, I just think in that what were, like I, in all honesty, what have you seen out of that team that it even gives you a, like a, the slightest glimmer of hope to think that team's gonna win a game? And please, I mean, I'm genuinely listening because I could use it. I feel like this is just kind of throwing up a Hail Mary prayer that I don't believe that this team can be this bad and fall off of a cliff this hard. And look, and the Raiders too. I don't think Derek Carr does anything for me. I don't think they're good. Honestly, I think that for somehow, some way, like we made fun of uh, anonymous uh, NFL reporter numerous times over the course of the year, but he's going to end up being right when the Chargers win the AFC West out of absolutely nowhere. I, I think that this, how do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Game ends, probably ends up meaning nothing in, in terms of who wins the division because I think the Chargers are really kind of controlling things at this point, which really shows you how awful things are going there. But I, maybe it's just me being an optimist. But I would I agree with you that I think that it's got to be Patrick Mahomes at some point here. Like, how how hard do you have to fall before you're just like, let's see how this goes. Like, just see how it goes. Like you said last week, what's the worst that happens? You know, he's not Deshaun Watson. And with the best case scenario, he turns it around. But, you know, look, that I just think that the Chiefs, I don't believe that they are as bad as they are. But, hey, they're going to prove me wrong on Sunday. They're going to prove me wrong. I'll tell you, if they won the game, I actually think they could win out because they play nobody. They play Miami and Denver the last two weeks of the year. Um, I think it's about just, if they could ever just win a game, they, they would win. I, I firmly believe that. But I, I genuinely am to the point, I don't think they're going to win a game. Maybe they'll beat Denver week 17 because Denver, my God. Denver at this point is like a college <laughs> team. Uh, but, you know, for my money, the thing that drives me the most nuts with them, everybody keeps talking about what's happening to Kareem Hunt. What's happening? First of all, they can't run the ball because they can't block anybody. Mm-hmm. Their last four games, all losses, all games that were tight throughout. It wasn't like they were getting blown out and they couldn't run the ball. He has carried the ball nine times, 18 times, 11 times, nine times. And in, and in three of those games, averaged more than three yards, or averaged more than four yards a carry. Like, what are they doing? Why does he not get the football? It, it's, it, listen, I'm an Andy Reid guy. I know a lot of people go against his take. I think Andy Reid's a really good head coach who comes up with some of the dumbest play calls ever. Like, for every 10 calls he makes, eight of them are great, one of them's kind of perplexing, and one of them is just mind-numbingly stunning. Uh, like, they're, like they're third and one throw to Cam Irving yesterday. It's just, I mean, this is the Chiefs. And this is why I can't, there's just no way. I can't pick. They can't run the ball. They have no idea what they're doing. They have no identity. Marcus Peters is throwing flags. Which, by the way, I'm buying a Marcus Peters jersey for Christmas just because of that. <laughs> Like he's the only guy in the team who seems to give a you know what on on that defense. So at least you know he shows some fire. But in any event, yeah, I'll take the Raiders. Uh, I think the game will be fairly close. But I don't think the Raiders can stop anybody. Uh, but I, I fully expect the Chiefs to take some backbreaking penalty and then follow it up with like three blown coverages on, on consecutive third downs. Uh, that team can uh, that team can go away soon, please. Uh, four o'clock games. Speaking of teams, they got to go away. The Jets won, of course. They beat the Chiefs, who uh, at this point, I don't know if this counts as a full win. Uh, they're playing at Denver. Denver is it's a, a pick 'em. <laughs> I'm taking the Jets. Denver is awful. Oh, yeah. I got to tell you, if Denver played Cleveland right now, I, I think Cleveland might beat them. If, if yeah. it was in Cleveland, and Denver, I think it's too much. 
Denver is god awful. Denver makes the Chiefs look confident. They they are so bad. They got outscored yesterday by both defenses on the field in their thirty-five to nine handling at the hands of the Dolphins. God, I, I have to take the Jets. I I just I can't imagine. I, as I said, I can't imagine the Chiefs winning a game. Denver, like even more so. Like I can't fathom that team winning another football game. It says a lot about how far the Broncos have fallen down the hole that we're looking at this matchup and saying, you know what? I don't think that the defense can stop Josh McCown. I mean, think about the world that we're living in when we're like, yeah, you know, that offense in the Jets, I don't think that matches up too well against that Broncos secondary. So, look, I'm taking the Jets too, and we beat this drum before, and it's going to get beat again by numerous people as the offseason approaches. But the Broncos are cooked. I don't know what the future holds for them. They're obviously going to properly move on from from Vance Joseph because I don't know if you can hang on to him. And I don't know if John Elway actually knows how to run the team well enough to hire the right guy. Like, you know, we, there's been comparisons now to him and Al Davis, even though I, let's not sully the good name of Al Davis like that. Al Davis is a lot more for football than John Elway. Right? But we're getting to the comical point where it's bordering on such parody that, you know, I could generally see John Elway firing Vance Joseph and pulling a Dan Jennings and going, you know what? I'm running this team. I'm the head coach. I would pay a million dollars to see John Elway be the head coach. Yeah, Jennings. you have no idea what I would do to see that week in and week out. But imagine him with these quarterbacks. <laughs> he would just shoot up at some point. I think he'd have it. Like you know, not that I, I, I just went on a diatribe about Kansas City. Look, they're in the tank. The, the Broncos are in the tank. Between them, they've lost like twelve games in a row. Okay, I think though, as a Chiefs fan, I can at least look forward and say, well, look, I think the future is bright. I mean, as long yeah. as Mahomes can play, which from all indications, everything you hear is that he can. Um, you know. I know Andy Reid gets criticism, but look, if, if Mahomes is a top 10 quarterback and you've got Reid and you've got Hill and Hunt and Kelsey, like, they will figure it out. Yeah. And I will say this. The last two years, there have been teams that have gone 5-0 and missed the playoffs. The Falcons did it two years ago. Next year, they went to the Super Bowl. The Vikings did it last year. They're 10-2 this season. The Chiefs have the talent to be similar to those teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're in the tank something fierce right now, but at least I can look forward to it. Look, they fix a few things defensively, get a pass rush opposite of Houston, get a corner opposite of Peters. I think they'll be okay. I don't think this is some prolonged, oh my God, they're going to be terrible for a decade. Denver, on the other hand, there is no fix in sight. The quarterbacks no. are terrible. The coach is terrible. The general manager is is not well-liked. I mean, I, I think it was telling yesterday. The Dolphins are up by 30 points, and they're kicking an onside kick. And yeah. Gase is just sticking it to Elway. Uh, there was also a report by Brad Wells out there, uh, used to cover the Colts, respected guy, uh, that Peyton Manning can't stand John Elway. So, you know, let's just say that, I, you know, if, if those things are the truth, and Gates, I think, showed you that in his case mm-hmm. it was, that's not good uh, for Denver. Denver is, in a lot, Denver is not drafted well. They don't have a quarterback. They don't have a coach. And in the NFL, like we talked about earlier, uh, you don't have those things. You're, you're screwed. And... I, I, for me, the Broncos are in as bad a shape as anybody in the league going forward. They have a lot of big-time problems. Yeah, if you don't have one of those things, you're screwed. And the Broncos don't have either. So, yeah. I, I just, you know, we, we harp on it every single week. But the Broncos, they need to figure something out. And I don't know that there's something that they can figure out as long as John Elway is in control. So, that's, you know. Sorry for Broncos fans, but you got your Super Bowl. Now you're paying for it. <laughs> I'm not sorry. You've been good for 30 years. <laughs> um, okay, so. Tennessee at Arizona. Uh, Arizona's a field goal underdog in this game at home. 
Uh, I'll be succinct with this. I, I, I think the Titans will win. The Titans have not played well all year. But they continue to find ways to win games. They're 8-4. I just don't trust playing Gabbard. Uh, I picked the Arizona beat Jacksonville and only because I thought Bortles would just t- throw the game away, which is exactly what he did. Um, I don't think Mariota will do that, although Mariota this year has been abysmal. But I think the Titans find a way to win this game in an ugly fashion uh, and get themselves to 9 and the Titans this year are kind of like, to me, 2015 uh, Panthers light. Like, very, very, very light. Oh, you know, it's so light that there's no calories at all. Yeah, so it's the, yeah, the Oikos uh, fat-free version of the 2015 Panthers because they just, they, they just find a way to win, but it's not impressive. Not, you know, they win on Sunday. They've, they got a, they're, right, they're in charge of the AFC South. They're going to make the playoffs, but nothing that they do makes you think that they're going to win their wild card game. So, I mean, unless, according to you, they play the Chiefs. So, there's that. They'll smoke. <laughs> Marcus Mariota is a disappointment to me. He was supposed to be a lot better this year. He's not as bad as Jameis Winston, but he's not much better. And that's really, that, 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 that's too bad because he was supposed to take the leap and the Titans were supposed to take the leap this year. Yeah, they're going to make the playoffs. But I just wonder what the future holds for them. I wonder if they're going to be able to figure it out with Malarkey, if he's the guy that they want to keep going with or what. But I think that they beat... Uh, the, the Cardinals, Blaine Gabbert's awful, but I'm not happy about having to pick that game. I wouldn't be. Uh, I wasn't happy about it either, so I understand where you're coming from. Um, let's see. Okay, so moving forward into 425. Actually, no, one more 405 game. Sorry about that. Uh, the Chargers are hosting the Redskins. Chargers are six and a half point favorites in the game. The Redskins uh, have a little extra time to prepare coming off that loss. On Thursday night against Dallas, where they got waxed 38 to 14. I'll take the Chargers in the game. The Chargers are playing well, although I will say the Chargers have beaten a bunch of, uh, of non contenders. Now, the Redskins yeah. are not great either, the 5 and 7, which is why I'll take them. But this is the kind of game I could see the Chargers bungling. Although, again, I'll take them. I'm picking the Redskins to cover. But I think, I think the Chargers, knowing that they have a date at Arrowhead next Sunday, or next Saturday, actually, um, I think the Chargers find a way to win this game. They're, play, they're playing good football. Phillip Rivers is an ageless wonder. Continues to throw the ball uh, with accuracy, both short and long. Um, the defense with Bosa and Ingram, it's the best one-two punch in the league. So I like the Chargers in what I think will be a pretty tight game. The Chargers are, we're going to find out, what they are in this game because like you said they know that they have that game in arrowhead on the horizon are they going to go out and they're going to play this game knowing that they're playing for their playoff lives or is this going to be a game like they that they bungle away like they did against the jaguars or something like that Um, we're going to find out how much of a contender the chargers are in this game against the redskins and we're going to find out whether or not how far into the tank the redskins are based on how they come out and perform but i really like the Chargers in that they're a team that looks like it's going to be good in the future. They look like they're going to be all right with the stars that they have on defense, you know, like you said, Bosa and Ingram, but they also have other guys in the secondary that are going to be at least decent moving forward. So getting them that experience is going to be good. And Phillip Rivers, it all depends on what kind of Phillip Rivers shows up. Are you going to get the one that throws for four touchdowns? Or are you going to get the one that throws a couple of picks and breaks your back? So and that's been the curse of the Chargers since, you know, they went 14-2 and two and should have gone to the Super Bowl. So this has been a regular thing. And all the credit to Philip in the world, Philip Rivers, for remaining as good as he's been. He's so consistent throughout his career. Even though it is unpredictable, you never know what you're going to get. He's been consistent in unpredictability. So I'm going to take the Redskins in this one just because I, you know, 
like we've said before, people fall in this trap of picking the Chargers, and all of a sudden they, they, they make you look like a fool. The Redskins are actually a decent opponent, so either I'm taking the Redskins and I'm right, or the Chargers prove me wrong, and all of a sudden we do have a legitimate contender to sneak in there and play a monkey wrench role in the AFC playoffs. I think the best game of the week, uh, 425 out in Los Angeles, the Rams hosting the Eagles. Rams are favored by two. Uh, I think the Rams should be favored by a, a, at least three in this game. Uh, in fact, I think that's what it should be. I think it should be three. Uh, I think the Rams are going to win. I think the Rams are better, to be very blunt. I think the Rams are a really good team. They're not getting the attention they deserve. I think everybody's been so focused on the Eagles and the Pats and everything else. The Rams can play. Uh, they're 9-3 and three on the year. They're fighting for a bye as well. They're fighting to stay ahead in that division. Uh, I think the Rams get the job done at home. The Eagles, two games straight on uh, across the country out west. That's that's tough. That's a really tough scheduling quirk. Uh, I like the Rams in this game. And if the Rams win this game, they're both 10-3 and three and the Rams have the breaker. The Eagles would go. If, if the Rams win, the Eagles no longer are in a position to have a bye week which is unbelievable. But welcome to the NFL. Things change quickly. That's absolutely what the Eagles cannot have is playing in the wild card round because I think that we're going to see... They draw the Packers. Yeah, they're going to draw the Packers. <laughs> or they're going to get the Saints or somebody like that, and this is going to be a good night for Carson Wentz. Uh, I think that, yeah, this is, a play, this is a de facto playoff game, and I really like it. I think it's the best game of the week. And I'm excited to see how this Rams defense plays against Carson Wentz. And I'm excited to see how Carson Wentz and the offense play. They're coming off an adjustment against a game that they lost, or from a game that they lost, against a team that really beat them up physically. And I think that the Rams are a very physical defense as well, and they have a really good secondary. Some of those prayers that Carson Wentz threw up against the Seahawks, those might be interceptions against the Rams. So it's going to be interesting to see. I'm going to take the Rams in this one because, again, goes back to the coaching thing. And we got two first-year head coaches here. So you've got Sean McVay and you've got Doug Peterson. And everything I've seen out of McVay, he doesn't look like a first-year head coach. No, not, not at all. So I'm taking the Rams to win this one. Staying in the NFC West, Seattle on the road in a game that got flexed into the uh, late afternoon window at Jacksonville. And Jacksonville is favored by a field goal. You could not pay me enough money to take Jacksonville in this game. I don't care that it's in Jacksonville. I don't care that they're 8-4. I don't, I don't care that Seattle's missing guys in the secondary. Russell Wilson is a dangerous, dangerous quarterback. For my money, I think he's the best quarterback outside of Tom Brady right now in the league with Aaron Rodgers hurt. If Aaron Rodgers was healthy, I'd take Rodgers. Um, I think you're talking about a real, real tough situation for Jacksonville's defense because as good as it is, it's just so hard to play against Wilson because he's unorthodox. Mm -hmm. You get pressure, you think you've got him, he scrambles out, he makes a play down the field. I like Seattle. This is a team that, that knows it's got to win. The pressure's on. It's been there before. And, and frankly, I, I don't care that they're missing Chancellor and, and Sherman. I, there is no way I trust Bortles in this game. No way. They are going to bottle up Fournette, and they are going to force him to throw the ball. And that, to me, that is not going to end well. Give me the Seahawks, who I think win, and I think win by maybe 10 to 14 points. This is going to be the game where everybody looks back, and no matter what Blake Bortles does, no matter what happens, they're going to look back and say, remember that game against Seattle and how awful he looked against an actual team? Like, yeah, he, he won. He beat the Browns. Yeah, they beat a bunch of these bad teams, but when he played a good defense, it was bad. And as good as Jacksonville's defense is, and they're my favorite defense in football, 
it's not enough to account for the mistakes that Blake Bortles is going to make. The only hope that I'll give Jaguars fans is late November last year, the Buccaneers welcomed in the Seahawks to Tampa Bay. Seattle was. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Far and away the favorite, and Tampa Bay won that game 14-5 defensively. They won that game defensively, and Russell Wilson is unorthodox. He was running around, and the Bucs found a way to win. And they had a good defense, and I think that the Jaguars' defense is better than that Bucks defense last year. However, as much as we hate on Jameis Winston, as much as he makes mistakes, he's not Blake Bortles. Not yet, at least. And that's going to be... that's going to always be the anchor for the Jaguars and I'm sorry that they're going to have the fans are going to have to watch Bortles blow this game for them but it's going to happen. I want the Jaguars to win, but if I was putting money on the game, I'm taking Seattle. Late game on Sunday, Sunday night football, Pittsburgh again in primetime third straight week, they host the Ravens. The Ravens who are hot all of a sudden. Seven and five. Looks like they're certainly going to make the playoffs. Uh, if you look at their schedule, it's a joke. They play the Colts, the Bengals, and the Browns the last three weeks of the year. Um, so basically three bye weeks and then a playoff game. Um, <laughs> look, I think I think the Ravens are over their skis, to use your term, uh, in this game. I do not think they're going to win. Jimmy Smith tours Achilles. He's out for yeah. the year. And then the next day, he gets popped for a four-game PED suspension. So good times uh, and good timing, apparently. Um I think Pittsburgh rolls. I think Pittsburgh is the most complete team in the AFC. Although, mm-hmm. I've got to say, I keep saying that, but New England, who we're about to get to, my God. New England just beats the daylights out of everybody they play. You look at them and you're like, ah, I don't know about that front seven. And then they go out and they, you know, they win by 30. So, I like the Steelers on the game. I don't think the Ravens are, are good enough. I think the Ravens are a fraudulent team. They've beaten a lot of bad teams. And uh, I don't think they're, they're beating Pittsburgh. They got killed at home against them. So, why pick them? Before the London game against the Jaguars, I said that the Ravens were a joke, and then they went out and got absolutely hammered by the Jaguars. And Blake Bortles, by the way. Blake Bortles put up a ton of stats against the uh, Ravens in that game. And I just think I said they're a joke then, and I think they're a joke now. And that's unfortunate. I mean, I'm sorry if you're a Ravens fan. But look, you need to beat teams multiple ways in the playoffs, and you need to be beaten multiple ways. Here's how you beat the Ravens right now. Stop Alex Collins. That's it. (laughs) <laughs> Joe Flacco is not beating you. Don't They're, throw the ball over, stop him. Game it's over. incredible. All you need to do is stop Alex Collins. And the defense, like you said, it lost a major piece on Sunday. And even if he wouldn't have got hurt, he would have been gone for the rest of the season anyways, it seems. So, look, I'm taking Pittsburgh in this game. It's going to be a tune-up game for the playoffs. Because it's Pittsburgh and because it's a divisional game, maybe it's close. Maybe this is a low-scoring game where, you know, the uh, Ravens make it close. But there's no way that Pittsburgh loses this game. And I think it might be curtains for any hope that the Ravens have of, of making a playoff run here. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they're going to get just hammered. The oh, they're going to be a quick out, yeah. The only way that team somehow wins a game is if they play Kansas City. Because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced the Chiefs are going to pass against the Flacco. Uh, all right, the Monday game we'll just get to real quick. New England's on the road against Miami. New England's an 11.5-point favorite away from home. Uh, I think that game should be rated R and, and put behind a paywall uh, so the children don't <laughs> see it. Um, New England. New England is going to beat the daylights out of Miami. So that I, I don't think it needs much more analysis. 
Uh, I'm taking the Patriots with or without Rob Gronkowski, who we can just take this time to talk about whether or not he should be suspended for that hit that he had against Tredavious White, which was absolutely atrocious. And I look, that's the Patriots. That is the Patriots in a nutshell right there for you. That Everybody that hates New England watched that play, took to Twitter, and went, I can't believe Gronk wasn't ejected. But then he immediately just accepted that this is life. This is how it goes. They can have Spygate. They can have all these different things. They can have Deflategate, whatever. They're a dynasty. In 50 years, we're not going to care if Rob Gronkowski took a cheap shot on Tredavious White. We're not really going to care about Deflategate. In fact, we might even in 50 years think it's more stupid than we do now. So, look, this is just how the Patriots operate, and they're going to beat up the Dolphins on, on Monday night, and it's going to be more of the same, and there's really, like, there's nothing you can do about it except maybe hope that Pittsburgh beats them in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I'll just I'll wrap up here with this. I, I think Gronkowski should be suspended. That was a ridiculous cheap shot. They yeah. wouldn't even see it. Oh, yeah. I mean, Trey White picks off Brady. He's on the ground for a couple of seconds. I mean, you know, one 1,000, two 1,000. And Gronkowski just just viciously dove at the back of his head, drove his head into the ground his arm. I mean, it was, it was a filthy cheap shot. Concussed him, possibly. It, I, I, I said yesterday on Facebook Live, I would suspend him as long as that kid's out. That was so ridiculous. You know, they want to suspend Vontaze Burfecht for six games and some stupid hit in the preseason. No, I get Burfecht. He's got a long history. Okay? I'm not saying that the two players are comparable, but neither are the acts. The act, was, the act by Gronkowski was a hell of a lot worse when Burfecht did Anthony Sherman in the preseason, which really was just kind of a, a blindside shot. But it wasn't, it wasn't anything that was going to hurt Sherman, in my opinion. Um, I think Gronkowski should get a couple of games. I, now, he probably won't because yeah. they're looking ahead and saying, well, we don't want him suspended for the Pittsburgh game. Yeah. I, I, would, I would fine him heavily, and I'd suspend him. And if the NFL doesn't suspend him, I want to see Belichick have some stones to do it himself. You're going to beat Miami regardless. Bench him for that game and send him a message. Because mm-hmm. to me, there's no place in, in the league for that. So, that said, I think the Patriots win by 50. Yeah. Um, well, I just wanted to yeah, say, you no, know, go ahead, go ahead. it reminded me too, not to the same degree, but, you know, that Todd Bertuzzi hit against the Avalanche a bunch yeah. of years ago. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't the same thing, you know, where, I mean, he broke that guy's neck. It was assault. Right. But so was, this was assault, too. Like, you take a look at it, and, you know, you say football's a violent game. Hockey's a violent game. You get away with things on the— I mean, they fight in hockey, and you go to the penalty box. You fight in a bar, there's a good chance you're getting arrested. You do what Robert Gronkowski did to anybody on the street. You know, he's got the Rob Gronkowski party boat, and he does that on the party boat. That's a crime. That's assault. It's, I, don't, I don't understand. Like, there, there is a, a room for separation where it's like, yeah, things on the football field are within the gridiron, and you can't really put it in the context of the real world. But that's when the motion is going. That's during the play. This was after the play, okay? And you take a look at if he would have done that away from football, if he's walking past Tredavious White, who's picking something up from the ground, and pile drives him like that, You've got problems. So, yeah, I, I don't think he gets suspended because he's Rob Gronkowski and because the Patriots seem to get away with everything. But there is a double standard that, you know, many people are pointing out that isn't incorrect. And it's unfortunate, especially in the NFL when you've got so much discussion about head injuries and you've got literally one of the biggest guys, both physically and as far as his gravitas, going at a guy's head like that and concussing somebody. That's, you, you can't have that. And his explanation after the game cinched it for me, where he said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. But then he said, what do you expect me to do? I was upset. Really? 
What? What? That's going to hold up in court. Good luck with that one, Gronk. Yeah, I, uh, listen, I think he's a great player, but I also think he's, he's a clown show at time. Um, so, that being said, I think he should be suspended. I think he will be suspended. Uh, and, and I hope that the NFL gets this right. Because if you're going to talk about player safety, yeah, you've got to suspend him. I don't care what his name is. Who he, screw that. He needs to be suspended. So, that being said, thank you very much for listening once again to Josh Hill and myself here on Stacking the Box. Please subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you'll get the new episodes every Monday automatically downloaded to all your Apple devices. Um, please, if, if you haven't already, uh, please leave a rating, leave a comment. Uh, as I always say, unless you think we sucked, then please don't. Um, but we really appreciate you listening. Uh, we look forward to sticking with you here all the way through the playoffs and then into draft season and free agency and everything else. So we'll have a lot of fun with it. So for Josh Hill, I am Matt Verder. Check out all our work on fanside.com. Josh and I write all the time. And feel free to email us, firstname.lastname at fansided.com. Thanks very much for listening. Have a great week and enjoy week 14 in the NFL. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code radio and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code radio. Terms and conditions apply.